Today's episode is brought to you by Polyscale. Polyscale is a no-code database edge cache for the world's most demanding data-driven applications. Scaling data-driven applications while maintaining a great user experience is hard. Milliseconds matter, and developers and DBAs have a myriad of technologies to engineer and integrate involving complex layers of caching, replicas, or even full database migrations, taking too much of your valuable time. Enter Polyscale. Polyscale's Edge platform is an AI-driven database cache-as-a-service that takes your current database and scales it infinitely, and with no code and no applications or databases to change. Polyscale intelligently caches data and queries compute closer to the user, providing extremely low-latency database reads from anywhere in the world, improving application performance and decreasing costs. It takes just minutes to set up and is truly plug-and-play. Check out Polyscale's Global Edge data platform, www.polyscale.ai, and sign up for a free account today. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is the beginning of March. And as I hit record on this for Cloud News of the Week, here in North Carolina, things are starting to get warmer. And of course, that means spring, and spring means allergy season. So if you're a fan of the show and been listening for a number of years, you know Brian Gracely is suffering right now. And our first article is about Snowflake. Snowflake acquires Streamlit for $800 million. And this acquisition is all about uh, helping Snowflake customers with applications. Uh, you know, they, they've mastered that data layer and being cloud independent in where that data lake is. And they were having some, a little bit of trouble with um, then the data scientists really building the applications to take advantage of that. And it turns out Streamlit, a uh, uh, very popular open source project, um, and customers were using it. Uh, Snowflake internal uh, employees were using it as well. And so it just seemed like a really, really good fit for them. So uh, we certainly wish them the best of luck with that. For our second story, uh, Google did a pretty massive uh, acquisition uh, this week. Uh, Mandiant, um, which is 5.4 billion. Now, if you're not familiar with them, they are a security and, and SaaS security platform company. They have been around for a long time and, and decently well-known in the industry. And this is part of Google Cloud's larger vision to do end-to-end -end security and really improve uh, the Google stance on security in the cloud as well. So uh, really good for them, um, and I'm looking forward to how this really turns out into products and features within Google Cloud. For our last story, uh, and, and, and maybe unfortunately for those folks that uh, were part of that Google acquisition I just talked about, uh, if they were working from home, they're going into the office. So Google has announced that starting in April, they will be going back to a hybrid work model. So uh, a lot of Google employees, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20%, uh, took advantage of during COVID the ability to really kind of work from anywhere and be classified as remote employees. They have started to transition back into what they're calling a hybrid model, which is probably going to be about 
three days a week in the office. And this is the first of those experiments of, of when and how we're going to come back to the office and how do we keep folks safe? And also, how do we still maintain a work-life balance as well going forward? It'll be interesting to see Google isn't the only one. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how Silicon Valley reacts to this long-term. So with that, I'm going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. And coming up right after the break, uh, we have a really good one. This is Elliot and Jeremy, co-founders at Anomalo, talking about data quality and trust. Still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? It's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. Instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kube control command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privilege by default. Trust it by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime. StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check it out for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at www.strongdm.com slash get dash a dash demo. Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. And we're back, and we have a really interesting conversation this week. And for me personally, I, I have a heavy background in some of these areas, but just like anything else with this show, we always want to go out and, and find out folks way smarter than ourselves. And um, so for today, we have the folks over at Anomalo. First of all, I have Elliot Schmuckler and Jeremy Stanley. They are co-founders of a new company and done some really nice uh, partnerships as well. But before we get into all of that, let's start with backgrounds and introductions. So Elliot and Jeremy, please introduce yourselves. Thank you so much, Aaron, and thank you for having us. Uh, well, I'm Elliot. And I've been a long time product leader 
uh, growth leader in, here in Silicon Valley. Uh, and so I've been a longtime user of data, trying to use data to make the websites and the apps I was working on grow faster uh, and do a better job with whatever it is they're, uh, they're aiming to do. Hi, uh, my name is Jeremy. Yeah, really excited to be here as well. Um, I have a, a history of leading uh, data science and machine learning teams uh, and myself digging very deeply into complex data sets at companies and using that data to make decisions or build products. Uh, and so always uh, on tender hooks around, you know, what's the quality of the data that I'm dependent upon for those nice. outcomes. Nice. And and prior to um, starting the company together, you both were at Instacart together, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we we worked very closely. You know, I was leading the product team and the growth team, and Jeremy was leading data science and machine learning. And and so, as you may imagine, we worked very closely on multiple things. And we kind of bonded over our shared difficulty of actually using data. Right, or the shared difficulty that everyone has in using data, especially when you can't be certain uh, of the quality uh, that it is. Uh, and in fact, our, our time at Instacart was one of the big inspirations for starting an Anolo. Yeah, and so let's dig into that. So this, this concept of data quality and, and trust or integrity to those that may not be familiar. So what patterns and problems did you see to introduce the topic and then I'll have a follow-on, any possible horror stories and lessons learned, which you're like, hey, this is so big, I, I got to go start a company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love to tell you the horror stories. <laughs> uh, and so maybe I'll start with those and, and see if we can generalize. But yeah, I mean, Jeremy and I were both at Instacart, and some of your listeners may know what Instacart does, it's a grocery delivery company, lots of complicated logistics, uh, lots of complicated machine learning optimization problems. You know, which shopper should we send to deliver your order? Which store should they go to? Even which order they should shop for the items, right? To get in and out of the store as fast as possible. And so a very sophisticated product, very sophisticated data stack, very sophisticated team, of course. And it was still shocking to us how often we would have data quality issues that would impact our work. So I'll give you a couple of examples, Aaron. These are in the horror stories uh, category. One day I arrived at the office at Instacart and my whole team, right, remember we're in charge of growth, so kind of the amount of transactions and sales going through the platform is a very important metric for us to track. My whole team was, was freaking out running around something was going on and turns out that they were looking at our sales numbers for that day and orders from Costco which is one of the big retailers on the Instacart platform were down by 50% right this is a big deal um, it's an issue for Instacart there's less sales for us it's an issue for Costco there's less sales for them it's an issue for all the shoppers that are on shift that day that now don't have orders to deliver, don't have work to do. And so, you know, we, we did the investigation, all right? We were trying to fight the fire. Did we screw up something with the product? Is search broken? You know, did something else happen? It 
turns out it was just a data quality issue. Uh, and so the way Instacart works is the product takes in feeds from all of the partner retailers, and in fact, many grocery stores across North America that answer the question, well, what, what do you have on the shelves of your store today, right? We need that inventory information because you don't want to offer something for delivery that's not going to be found in that store. And that morning, for whatever reason, the feed from Costco did not have any meat items. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. 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 None. Right. And believe it or not, folks are unlikely to order, you know, uh, uh, groceries if they can't get any meats from their favorite store. So cascading uh, failures from protein. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and just a data quality issue, right? If we had any kind of system or any kind of process that was checking the data that we were receiving that could tell us, hey, you know, something doesn't look right here, right? Something's off in the structure of this data today. We would have caught that immediately. Um, but without something like that, you know, our systems took in the feed and they're like, hey, all these items must be out of stock on Costco. Let's take them off the site, right? Um, and so as a result, you'd come to Instacart, you'd choose Costco, you'd search for chicken and you'd get nothing. Um, and you were very likely to drop off as a result. Wow. So yeah. classic, I mean, classic example. And we saw so many of those. Uh, and this was not just, you know, a small data team or anything. This was a very sophisticated company running a large operation with some of the best technologies you could get for, for dealing with data. And still you could have an issue like this that would literally impact revenue and impact sales. Hmm. Wow. So oftentimes the, the issues can they can even happen in, happen internally. You can do them to yourself, right? So it's not just an external data provider that changes something. One of my favorite examples uh, earlier in my career was a machine learning model to make recommendations for products to be purchased that was being injected into communications to customers. There was a sign change in that model. Um, and so the result was that instead of recommending the very best products for purchase, it actually started recommending the very worst products to purchase. Um, and it actually took several weeks to realize that this was happening. And, and it happened when we got statistical significance on A-B tests that suggested that that new change was terrible <laughs> for customer conversions. Um, and so you know, a, a small code change in a complex code base can have you know pretty distant and long-term ramifications in the, in the data that's used to make decisions or products. Yeah, and so Jeremy, what this reminds me of is when I think of when you said about big data, the way I've always kind of thought big data is it's a needle in a haystack, or it's a needle in a bunch of haystacks, and uh, um, it's just it's in there somewhere. You just have to find it, right? But in this instance, what if it's the wrong needle, <laughs> right? And and it can only make things worse. And so that's that's super helpful and, and a great way to think about this. But then the next thing I also think about is data and data always changing. Um, so I refer to it as data drift, but... Yeah, a more practical example. So my, my wife did one of the DNA tests online and you got back your genetic history. And it 
I don't remember the exact breakouts, but it was like basically she was a mix of a bunch of different European ones. And then she got an email like a month later and it's like, oh, by the way, we got a bunch of new data. So now you're you're not Irish anymore. You're <laughs> Italian, right? <laughs> and does this relate as well? And how, as more data comes into the system, how do you maintain integrity? Is this a way to think about this? Yeah, it definitely does, Aaron. And, and I'll give you an even even bigger issue with the fact that data is constantly changing, right? So a lot of folks, when they encounter these issues, like the Instacart issue or the model issue that Jeremy was referring to, their first instinct is to do something that, that they may have done for code, right? Let's write a test. Let's establish a rule that says, you know what? Costco should always have at least one meat item. Right, in their inventory. Let's let's codify that somehow and we'll check all of our data against those rules. Uh, and one of the issues with approaches like that, and these are kind of the traditional approaches to data quality, is that, well, your data is going to change tomorrow. And a lot of your rules won't apply. And new rules will need to be written to accommodate your new data. Uh, and so the fact that data is constantly changing actually makes this a much harder problem than you would think because you can't really just sit down and define what high quality data should be today. Right. Because it tomorrow that's different. Good data today, maybe bad data tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Uh, or, you know, you might launch a new geography or a new product or the distribution of your traffic may change. So whatever rule you establish for today's data may not apply. Um, and so this was one of the reasons why, you know, when we started Anomalo, we thought, well, we, we have to do better than what's being done today. We have to build it in a way where our system will automatically adjust to changes in your data and will accommodate them, you know, without giving you tons of alerts right, when you launch a new geography. And so that was very core to our thinking. I think one of the things that companies struggle with today, it's it's not so much big data, which you tend to think about as just volume of data and you know, number of records. We've got really good scalable tools for handling really you know big sets of data. It's kind of the width and the complexity and the diversity of the data that companies are using today. They're collecting data from every operation, centralizing it in one place and then democratizing access to that data. And so the surface area is huge. And so a lot of uh, companies we talk to, what they're struggling with are all of these unknown unknowns, the things that you wouldn't have thought to test for or couldn't possibly have written a test to cover them because there just are so many of them in data that's reflecting you know, your product and how it's interacting in this complex world. Um, and so having something that can instead watch the data and observe it and learn from history what is expected in this data set and then observe when there are uh, unusual adverse changes that suddenly arise and notify you, it saves a tremendous amount of time. Let me take that one step further as well. I almost, I almost see it as, as more data is added, you have a couple different things that can happen. Um, good can turn to bad, so existing data can change, right? Or existing conclusions can change. 
but there's also completely new results that can come out of this, right? Something that yes. wasn't there before. An answer didn't change. A new answer came out. And is that something that can be automated or is that something there's somebody kind of sitting over this of a flag goes up and kind of says, Hey, something new is here. Is this good? Is this bad? Like, tell me a little bit more how those decisions are made and who makes them. Yeah. So you're, you're hinting at something that's really critical, which is having a human, you know, in the loop evaluating results from systems like this because data is very complex and there are oftentimes changes that are happening in the data that might look bad, but in fact they're expected, right? And they're what you would you would uh, you would expect given a product change or you know a change in a feed that was expected. Um, and so the way we've designed the system is to find these issues, to visualize them and provide context around them so that you can see you know, where in the data is it being affected and what exactly is happening. And that goes to a user who would have some context for that table. And so if it was marketing data, it might be a marketing analyst who uses that data day in and day out, designs dashboards and you know, maybe creates data products for targeting advertisements. And so they know that data really, really well and they depend upon that data, the products they create, their job, right, kind of revolves around it. And so they would get a notification saying, you know, there's a whole new type of ad event in this data set. Um, and uh, is that expected? And, you know, they can they can either say, yeah, that's expected and I don't need to, to deal with it. Or actually, that's a mistake. Someone miscoded something. This is going to break a bunch of things. We need to resolve this. We need to fix this with a vendor. We need to fix this in an internal process. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. That, and it, so it's some, it, it's basically funneling things to a subject matter expert that ultimately is going to make the decision on something like that. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah, I like to think about this like hierarchy of there's all of the data in your warehouse that you're not monitoring at all. It's kind of dark, if you will. There's a set of data that you're monitoring that's actually passing a, a kind of rigorous set of automated tests. You know, things look, things look consistent, things look as expected, nothing unusual has happened. There's a set of you know, data that's actually failed those tests, but you've said that's okay, right? This is, this is something that's expected, we know why it happened. And then you have the set of things that it's failed and it's problematic and it's gonna require an investigation and a resolution and a fix. And so Anomalo is a system to kind of help you move through that funnel um, and manage that process and have kind of the information at, that you need in order to move through it effectively. Yes, makes sense, makes sense. Now, let me ask a, maybe a, a follow-up question to all of that as well. And we'll talk about Snowflake in one second, but when it comes to building the data lakes, uh, tell everyone a little bit about the background of me, how you grew into this space or so, folks that kind of want to get started in this space and learn more about it because you know at times data science doesn't have the reputation of being the most approachable <laughs> of industries at times right and, and so things like this help bring clarity but also for those that really kind of want to dig in a little deeper how do mo folks come up to speed if you will Yeah, so, you know, I think the 
part of the challenge, if if you're a, a new person joining um, a company that's using these modern data tools, is you can drown in all of that data, and it can be very difficult to navigate and understand you know what data is relevant for my for my given problem, and then can I can I trust that data? Has it been updated you know recently? Um, and then be able to you know get insights into the data, even simple things like what are the distribution of values in the data? Uh, and so you know something that we've worked to do is make the data more approachable uh, by having automated profiling of tables that are monitored and making sure that when we run these kinds of analyses, we are, we're always producing visualizations that non-technical users can 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 kind of consume and understand. Um, to, to get the context that they need for the data. Yeah, Aaron, and I think you know, what we're seeing is that for more and more people in a variety of roles, data is critical to their job, right? They're either making decisions off of data or, or they're using data to manage uh, you know, the business or the product that they have or, or the set of marketing campaigns that they have. And so I actually think more and more folks are becoming uh, you know, data scientists to one extent or another. They just have to be, right? They have to learn these basics. What's great about tools like Anomalo is we bring some some serious sophistication to folks that may not be able to do that, you know, to apply that level of sophistication on their own, right? We have some, you know, sophisticated machine learning, running time series modeling, complex visualizations, right? And when you're using a tool like Anomaly, you can trigger all those and explore all of those and fine tune all those in a nice UI and in a low code environment. Uh, so you can get a lot of insights uh, and a lot of information about your data sets without being a data science expert. All you really have to know, which is, is impossible for us to know, is you have to understand how that data maps to your, to your job and your business. Right, you have to understand the business value uh, of the various things and trends and insights um, that we might deliver. And and will you point out something really critical there, and I want to expand on that just a little further. A common thread we've seen across all the cloud technologies, from infrastructure on up, is this concept of okay, something comes out, it is new, it starts to grow, it starts to expand. When it expands, it tends to get more complex. The more complex it gets, the more expertise that is required to use it. And the more sophisticated it gets and to really properly do it, it's the skill set becomes a barrier to entry. Yeah. And and if I'm getting this correctly, this is the same thing we've seen in, in many other things like cloud infrastructure, for instance, where the value here is really you don't necessarily have to have the expertise or you don't have to be in the valley with you know data scientists that <laughs> come from instacart right or somewhere else um that that it is taking big data and this concept of data lakes and simplifying it down so the expertise is not required is that a fair statement that is fair aaron i think you know, it's bringing a lot of sophistication to folks. Um, so, you know, we have some pretty serious machine learning uh, firepower on our end where we're constantly trying to 
do better in modeling your data and detecting issues with your data and forecasting what your data should look like tomorrow. And so you don't have to develop that expertise necessarily or call upon the few people in your organization that might have that expertise, right? For every data set that you want to monitor, we've sort of packaged up that expertise into our product. And in fact, Aaron, to your point, I mean, I, I certainly hope that we reverse that trend with our product. One of the things that we're very focused on is how can we automate more, you know, of, of what a data analyst or a data scientist might do with new data sets. How do we do more and more of that in software without you having to do any work? Yeah. The common pattern we would see is, you know, a business user, someone who's dependent upon the data, knows that something should be true about it, but they're not able to, to write the code, create the script, you know, ship the, ship the algorithm to assert that. They have to try to express that to a technical user who then tries to code this in a system and get it deployed. And, you know, they, they, they try to automate that process. And invariably what happens is it still doesn't quite work, right? It's this hard and fast constraint that, that the data doesn't actually meet all of the time. There are exceptions. What happens on the weekends or right? what happens in this specific segment of the data? Um, and so it's both the combination of simple interfaces that allow non-technical users to specify what is their what is their real expectation of the data. And then what Elliot was describing, we, we work hard to try to automate as much of the intelligence to make sure that these tests are smart, right? That they can learn about the historical patterns and avoid the risk of a lot of false notifications that can be confusing or distracting to people when they're trying to understand and monitor their data. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, that clarifies a lot. So I, I did mention earlier um, the new partnership with Snowflake, and I did want to bring that up as well and talk about that. Um, as I understand it, this is a, an integration into to Snowflake so that anybody that is using Snowflake can now use your product as well and kind of combine them together. Is that a correct assumption and I, I admit too so for me is this the idea of okay for a lot of organizations they might be using snowflake as like the one big data lake the single source of truth and are we starting to get to that kind of architecture as well of it's not different piles of data or different data lakes it's one big data lake is that a, a correct way to think of that as well yeah, absolutely, Aaron. So I think you got you got the summary right. Any organization that has a Snowflake data warehouse can now connect an envelope to it and use an envelope to monitor any data set inside of that Snowflake deployment that they have, um, and any number of them. And so that's a core part uh, of our integration with Snowflake. But to your other point, uh, the centralization of data is, is very much a real thing. Uh, and it's something that we bet on when we founded Anomaly. We bet on this trend that I think is even accelerating now of companies really seeking to centralize their data, put it in one place so that you can use all the data assets and all the data resources you have to do whatever you need to do, right? To uh, build machine learning models, to build dashboards, to do analyses. 
And so um, we built Anomalo from day one in a way where we knew we could just connect to um, connect to uh, you know your data warehouse and your organization and monitor any data set in there. Uh, and so we are taking advantage of that centralization. And we've seen that with all of our customers. All of them are either already centralized or on our, are on our journey, right? To kind of pick the platform that fits their needs and try to centralize all of their data into that platform. So I think it is happening. Nice, thank you, Elliot. And what I'm gonna do then is I think that's a good place for us to, to close out for the day. So Elliot, Jeremy, where can everyone find out more about you, about the organization, or, or follow up if they have any questions? Yeah, so they can just go to Anomalo.com. Anomalo is just like Anomaly, but with an O on the end instead of the Y. And there's a lot of information there about the product, about the features. There are some great demo videos with Jeremy in them showing the product off. Uh, so that's a great place to explore and learn more. Awesome. Thank you very much. So on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, thank you everyone for taking the time again. And um, if you have a moment, listeners, uh, and you haven't left a review, we would love a review wherever you get your podcasts and, and certainly tell a friend as well. And so thank you again for taking the time this week. And we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.